Rejoice, people of God, because the good news is constant and trustworthy. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through the working of the Holy Spirit. And so we say, Amen. This Sunday has traditionally been referred to by many as Joy Sunday, and I think you can catch the reason why. Uh, in our second lesson from St. Paul to the church at Philippi, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. The Lord has come, is coming, and will come. Amen. In fact, uh, on this third Sunday of Advent, you may not have noticed it, some of you do know this, the candle that was lit is the pink candle. We couldn't wait for the white candle for Christmas, this is my interpretation. So what we do is we sort of slide out of the blue to pink on the way to white, because this is Rejoice Sunday, everything about it. And I suspect that most of you came this morning, not all of you perhaps, but most of you came caught up in the joy of this happy time of year as we prepare in a little less than a week to celebrate again the birth of the world's Savior, and most importantly, your Savior, my Savior. And so, I wonder how you reacted when Pastor Rico began reading the Gospel for today, and you heard the words, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? I suspect that kind of was jarring uh, in terms of the mood that we gather here on the third Sunday of Advent, a week away from Christmas. What were they thinking of when they chose this lesson to be read on this day? Well, that's what I hope to line out for you today, that you might appreciate that. I suspect that at least if you were really paying attention, maybe it was so jarring that uh, uh, you, you weren't uh, all that happy with it. But then you see, John the Baptist wasn't a very winsome preacher. Like the prophets of Israel who preceded him, he was a straight shooter, he didn't mince words, and he spoke the truth in love to God's people. And that's what he's doing again for us today. And it appears that we ought to pause and listen to him, lest we miss an important truth as we prepare to celebrate again our Lord's birth. And what is that important truth? Well, it's right here in the Gospel today in John's next words to us. He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. I like the old translation, fruit that befits repentance. It's the same. Apparently, at least, many folks in John and Jesus' day who came to the Jordan to be baptized by John for repentance and the forgiveness of sins didn't take very seriously God's expectation of them as his chosen people. They were apparently depending on their human lineage as sons and daughters of Abraham with little or no regard for 
their response to their chosenness and God's expectation of them as his holy called out people to be a light to lighten the goyim, to be a light to lighten the Gentiles, the rest of the world in other words. And that is what John is addressing when he says to them and warns them, I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up sons and daughters of Abraham. It's almost like he seems to be telling them that repentance and God's forgiveness alone isn't enough. It almost like, sounds like he is saying, yes, we are counted as God's people based on our faith, but also, but also on our response by producing the fruit of goodness. That is, living a life that corresponds to God's will expressed in his holy law. And as Lutheran Christians, that sounds like, well, heresy, to be honest. And that reminds me of my high school days in a small town on Long Island where 85%, about that anyway, of my classmates and my good friends had Italian last names and belonged to St. Martin of Tours Roman Catholic Church. Once I started to understand the central teachings of the Lutheran Church regarding salvation by grace through faith alone in Christ Jesus and nothing else than that, I found myself more and more having arguments with my friends and classmates at the local diner hangout after school and in other places. You see, my Catholic friends would say to me, well, Bob, you Lutherans think that all you have to do is believe in Jesus Christ and then you can do whatever you please during the week. And I used to respond, well, you Catholics, you, 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 you think that you can go to confession on Saturday and then do whatever you please all week and go back to confession the next Saturday. Kind of amusing in a way, but I think back to those days and I realize that that argument was germane to our gospel lesson today. Who was right? Budding Bob, the novice theologian, or my Catholic friends? Well, neither I, as I understood it in those days, nor my friends had it right. As a matter of fact, what John tells us is what we need to hear most again today and to rightly understand it is that which Martin Luther finally came to recognize and understand as this Lord spoke to him and to his faith in Holy Scriptures. The fact of the matter is that we receive the forgiveness of sins and life and salvation with God through faith and faith alone, nothing else, period. Everything that anyone ever trots out after that period for you are preaching heresy, are preaching something that is very dangerous for all of us. But now this same Martin Luther echoing John in today's gospel is quick to add, and I want you to hear this, you Lutherans, 
Good works are absolutely necessary in the life of God's people through their baptism into Christ. But not in order to become children of God, to be accepted as children of God, but because by grace through faith and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, they are able to respond to that grace and to live the kind of life that God called them to in Christ. For John's audience, the temptation was to say, because we have our lineage as in, in, in physical terms from Abraham, that's all we need. We don't need anything else. We are God's people by that alone. What we do with our lives for good or for ill, they, would, they might say, is irrelevant. And John is quick to say, you breed of vipers. You breed of vipers. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up sons and daughters of Abraham. And now comes the unexpected, totally unexpected message God wants us to hear again today, when at first we thought, well, this wasn't the gospel we expected today. John says to those who came out to him for baptism in the Jordan and to us who come regularly to this place to be nourished regularly on the good news and to taste the goodness and forgiveness of God and to empower us by his spirit in all we are free we are free to bear the good works that befits repentance as our, and our status as children of God. You see, it's not a matter of have to, it's a matter of get to. We are free to live the life that God has called us to. We are free to be the witnesses, to be the light, to lighten the nations in our time. That's who we are by grace. And it is because of that he has declared us heirs of his kingdom in Christ. But now that's not the only thing that is totally unexpected in this message today because when those who came to John heard and believed what he had to say about bearing fruit in keeping with repentance, they no doubt thought to themselves, well, this pious ascetic, that's what he was, this pious, pious ascetic who most likely had an association with the Essene community, not unlike monastic orders of our own time, that John would then call them to come out and become part of these communes that clustered around the Dead Sea in the desert. The Essenes, we now know, dwelt in these communes and practiced asceticism, daily prayer, benevolence, charity, and the study of the first covenant scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. It is the Essenes, many of you may know, who left us the oldest extant 
text of those scriptures, namely the Dead Sea Scrolls. But John surprises them. Totally unexpected, he doesn't ask any such thing. Nor does he call on them to launch a political movement under the Messiah party, for perhaps moving toward a revolution to drive out the hated Romans that occupied their land, or to organize a huge service, uh, social service agency to address the needs of the poor and the marginalized of his day, an obvious impossibility when most of the people were poor and marginalized and suffered under the heavy foot of Rome. Instead, he calls those whom he had baptized in the Jordan to go home and to resume their normal lives with their daily relationships and responsibilities. Do what you've been doing, he says, but do it as an act of service to others and the worship of your God. Share what you have with others. Be honest and above board in your work. He says, be faithful to whatever task it is you are called on to perform in life, but commit to doing it better. And by better, he means more honestly, more compassionately, more consistently, more lovingly in keeping with who you are by grace and grace alone as a gift from God. Is this really the message that signals the advent of God's Messiah? Well, yeah, exactly. The coming of God's Christ and of his reconciliation of all things involves a nearly endless list of things. Ultimately, no corner of life, no corner of the cosmos will go untouched by the renewal that is salvation through Christ Jesus our Lord. I have observed over the years that often Christian people don't think they are very spiritual. They don't think that what they do in the workplace, in the classroom, at home, around the dinner table, matters much or has much by way of spiritual implications. But people, that's wrong. They are wrong who think that way. If even a preacher as radical as John the Baptist could dole out the advice he did to those who wondered what active repentance, did you hear that? Active repentance looks like in their lives, then we who are in Christ through faith need to see again today that everything we do as God's people in every one of our many different vocations, callings in life, are profoundly spiritual and profoundly important to our God and our Savior. John's words and what Jesus would preach in the course of his ministry naturally had many, many similarities. Still, we all know, I think, that the day came when John the Baptist, rotting in Herod's prison, sent his disciples to ask, are you the one, Jesus, who is to come, or do we look for another?
And what is the message that Jesus sends back to John? Look what you see, look at what you see. The poor are having the good news proclaimed to them, the hungry are being fed, the ill are being healed, and the good news is being preached to all people. And as profoundly as that is, he was saying to John, exactly what John said to the people. In my humble ministry of service to others, feeding the hungry, healing the sick, raising the dead, and preaching good news to the poor, and finally, this lowly, seemingly powerless act of willingly dying on a cross for us is where real power real spirituality, real life is to be found by all of us. So you see, Advent has become such a special time for many people, but a time compromised uh, by both preachers and those who listen to preachers alike. If, if they forget that this special time of year is not so very special at all unless it has a profound effect on all the ordinary, non-special moments of our lives when we reflect the selfless servant love that our Lord demonstrated to all of us that issued in life, real, joyful, joyful life, pink candle life, white candle life, life that is eternal. That's really what's special about Advent. Let those who have ears to hear, hear. And the peace of God that passes understanding will keep our hearts and our minds in this Jesus to life everlasting. And all God's people said, Amen.